For me, as I was preparing for this morning, I was asking God, give me eyes to see. Give me eyes to see as you see, God. Give me the ability to look at all the faces around me today and see people that you love with all your heart. To see people that are so meaningful to you and they're so meaningful to me. You know, it really is great to get together with you this morning to be able to share the same space and and share the same air. And if you're joining us online, to, to be together and connect via the Spirit this morning. And, you know, just as I was thinking about what God has laid on my heart, I just wanted to ask a question. How many have you have ever said the words to yourself or somebody else, I want to be more like Jesus. I want to go deeper with God. Yeah, I hear that a lot. I want to experience a changed life. Our focus today is is very straightforward. My life changes as I practice obedience consistently. Would you say that with me? My life changes as I practice obedience consistently. Heavenly Father, a simple yet profound truth. Father, we ask that you would help us to connect with your word. Help us to connect with your truth because You came to refine us into the likeness of your son and restore our relationship with yourself. So would you lead us and guide us throughout this morning into your presence and the fullness of what you have for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. See, this concept of obedience is consistent throughout the New Testament. When you begin to read the words, you will see over and over this idea of obedience. Some of the words that are used to describe the commitment are a little different, but the concept is the same. We see words like obey. Well, that's pretty straightforward. That's easy to connect with. But words like do and keep. I want you to see that the principle of obedience is talked about. It's talked about in a lot of different ways, a lot of various ways, but it is always about the action of being obedient to God's word. Whatever the words are, whatever the way the phrase is put together, it's always about being obedient to God's word. I want to give you just a couple of examples so that you can kind of connect with what we're talking about this morning. The author of Hebrews in Hebrews 5, 9 says this, talking about Jesus, it says, and having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. And that word obey that's translated as obey means To heed or conform to a command or authority. 
So to all who obey him, he is the author. Paul, when writing to the church in Philippi, in Philippians 4.9, says this, These things which you learned, received, heard, and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. That word do, paraso, means to practice, to perform repeatedly or habitually. He's saying these things that have been an example to you, have been taught to you, these do. James 1.22 says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only. And that word doers is translated from a word that means performers. Now don't think singers or actors. Because that's not what this means. Think tradesmen. Think doctors and lawyers and electricians and those that are very skilled at the trade that they've been given to do. That's what this word encompasses. He says, be doers, be tradesmen of the word, not hearers only. John 15 says, 15.10 says, if you keep my commandments... You will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. And that word keep means to fulfill a command. So what we see in these examples are different words, different verbiage being used to communicate the same behavior, the same concept, that we are to be obedient to God's teachings. Amen? Amen. So why do we struggle? It's a great question. Why do we struggle with obedience or submitting to God's way? I want to draw your attention back to last week to what Pastor Steve was speaking about temptation. Did you remember your homework? Genesis 1, 2, and 3. If you read Genesis 1, 2, and 3, you're just a little bit ahead. See? We struggled to trust God and to take him at his word. We wonder, is he holding out on me? Is he keeping something back from me? Is, is there something more in life that I could be experiencing if I just wouldn't do it God's way? Did God lie to me? You know, did he tell me something just to make himself bigger, better, more important? Did he lie to me? See, we struggle because Adam and Eve listened to the deceiver and the relationship with God was broken. We struggle when we listen to the voices of the culture around us. When we listen to all the people who say God is dead, God's old-fashioned. The Word of God is irrelevant. We struggle when we are bombarded with question after question about can God possibly be loving in a world that's like this, not willing to take responsibility for our own part in the brokenness of the world, but throwing all of the responsibility on God for our failures. We struggle when we listen to the voices of those that 
challenge his character and challenge his principles. It's important for us to recognize what voice are we listening to? And what principles are we following? I want to encourage you in something today. It says in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, okay, so if you read that, you're a little bit ahead. We are created in God's image. Oh, that ought to get you excited. No, I'm serious. Look at the person next to you and tell them, you are created in God's image. Yeah. Come on, that's real. We hear that, but we kind of let it go by the wayside. Oh, that's nice. That's nice, Pastor Ken, Uh uh-huh. No, really. You are created in the image of God Almighty. You have intellect, the ability to think, to reason, to learn. You have emotions. You can feel love and joy and compassion. You're creative. I mean, aren't you glad that we have a worship team up here? that can sing and play instruments and create music that helps us to connect with the heart of God, that you have been given creativity. There are those that can write and those that can paint. Thank you, Lois, wherever you are. And can communicate the beauty of God and the love of God and the glory of God in so many different ways. We are created in the image of God. But due to the choices that were made, we are imperfect. But even in our imperfection, we reflect our creator. There is a reflection of him in us. And with that in mind, I want to ask you a question about the nature of your most cherished relationships. Those relationships with your children, your spouse, close friends, extended family. What is your heart toward those people? What's the cry of your heart for them today? What does that look like inside of you, your heart? And I want you to think about What is your heart when you communicate the boundaries of behavior that are important to you to those people? I remember telling my children, don't lie to me. Because when you lie, it breaks down trust and it's hard to have as good a relationship. When you lie, if there's something really that needs help, it just makes it that much more difficult to deal with. So don't lie to me. Not everything's going to be great. It's not always going to be a green faced day, but don't lie to me. I talked to my kids and I said, you can disagree with me. And in the teen years, this was really important. You can disagree with me, but you can't call me names. You can't be violent toward me, but you can disagree because you're growing into adult. And this is a boundary that healthy relationships have. You can disagree without attack. 
and treat others the way that you want to be treated. These are just a few things. See, when I think about my heart for my children and those that I love, my heart was always for their best. Is your heart motive just to control others, to make them your little slaves? To make them your minions? Is that why we say what we say and do what we do? Is that your heart? I'm honest with you, I've never met a person that that was their heart toward the people that they loved the most. No. It's to create the best environment and opportunity for safety, security, trust, and a deep and meaningful relationship. And that is the heart of our Father toward us. Obedience takes us deeper into relationship with God. Obedience will take us deeper into relationship with other people. But here's a key. It's not about what you know. It's about what you do with what you know. Jesus taught us this very principle when he was speaking a parable to the Pharisees. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 28. It says this, it says, what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first son, and he said, Son, go, work today in my vineyard. And his son answered and said, I will not. And then he regretted what he'd said, and he went. Then he came to the second, and he said, likewise, And he said, I go, sir. And he didn't go. And Jesus said, which one of these two did the will of his father? And they got it. They said, the first. Here's what I want you to understand. They both knew what to do. They both knew what to do. The sons in the parable knew what to do, but the Pharisees and the sinners and the people that Jesus was talking to also knew what this parable meant. And only one drew deeper into relationship. The one that did what they knew the father wanted. It is not those who know that are disciples. It's those who do. We need to hear that in our day and our time because we are in many ways a people that know a lot of things. It is not what you know Those who know that make disciples, but those who do. So, I got a little exclamation point in my notes here, which means I really want you to get this, okay? If you want to change your life, start 
by being obedient to God's word. Be obedient to what you know right now today and obedient to what you are going to learn. Remember, my life changes as I practice obedience consistently. Did you know that scripture tells us that we can have a renewed mind? Am I the only person that would like to have, you know, a brainwash? (laughs) I would love to have a brainwash. After all the years that I've lived, there's a lot of stuff in there I'd like to get rid of. And God tells us that our mind can be renewed. See, Ephesians chapter 4 says this in verse 21. It says, the truth is in Jesus that you put off. I want you to hear that word, put off. See, that's an action step. That means you do something. That's a point of obedience. You put off the former conduct. The hurts, the habits, the hang-ups, the prejudices, the things that we've been hanging on to. You put off the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. He says there's a part for you to do that you have to take action as you begin to understand. These are the things I'm telling you that need to end. You need to make a conscious choice, a decision and an action, a disciplined action to put off those things. And he says what? Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And how do we do that? We do that by God's word. Who are you going to listen to? Culture? Radio? Influencers? And there's nothing wrong with some of the the influencers. I mean, I realize the term, but he's like, who are you going to listen to? The love letter from the one that created you? Will you listen to the one that knows you better than you know yourself? He says, I love you. As a matter of fact, I loved you so much, I died for you to restore a relationship with you. The renewing of the word. And it goes on and it says, and that you put on the new man, as you begin to learn what it means to walk with God, that you put on those practices and those principles and that character. He says, I want you to put on, that's an action point of obedience, the new man which was created according to God in righteousness. In other words, that image that is in you all the time, I want to refine it. I want to bring it into sharper focus. I want you to to be able to begin to live out of that image even more than you can right now. Remember that my life changes as I practice obedience consistently. I want to give you some practical examples because these are important to me. Because they're from God's word. I want to start. What do you do when you deal with anger? If you knew me in my 20s, you would have seen a very angry person coming out of a home that was crazy with addictions to drugs and alcohol. 
to having lost people that we cared for deeply, that I cared for deeply, with depression and discouragement and suicide attempts, you would have seen a very angry Ken. What do you do when you're faced with anger? See, it's easy to quote James 1.19. James 1.19 says, starts with beloved brethren. So then, beloved brethren, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, because that wrath of man does not bring about the righteousness of God. See, it's easy to quote that when everything's going really well. But are you willing to demand of yourself to remember that when you are so upset that you just want to rip somebody's head off? That you just want to come unhinged and come unglued? And maybe even sometimes deservedly so. See... What does it mean to be obedient to James 1, 19 and 20? First of all, it means examining myself and recognizing when anger is welling up within me. And then when it says, let every man be swift to hear, it's not about hearing the words and being able to pair them back. It's about listening for understanding. It's about learning the hard insights, really connecting with the depth of the hurt or the pain or what's generating the anger in others and in myself. It's about the idea of engaging differently than I have now. And then it goes on and says, slow to speak. It says, hold your tongue. Hold your tongue. I remember so many times the concept of take the cotton out of your ears and stuff it in your mouth and listen. It's a recovery adage, but it works. Right, Daniel? (laughs) He says, don't react. Slow down. And don't be sarcastic. I hear so much sarcasm in the world around us right now. And in James 1.19 is telling us very clearly that's wrong. To interact with people with that heart of abrasive sarcasm is wrong. And it says be slow to wrath. Do you want your world and your relationships to be better? Do you want to live at greater peace? God's calling you to be obedient to His Word and His principles as taught in James 1.19. That we as His beloved children are to be slow, quick to listen, to really hear, to be slow to speak and slow to anger, that we are to be so much like him that we want our relationships to be better. And one of the ways we do that 
is being obedient to this principle in His Word and practicing it when it's hard. Because that's when it makes a difference. See, He talks about interpersonal relationships or conflict. Matthew chapter 18 says, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go blast him on Facebook. Circle the wagons, cancel them, get rid of them. Matter of fact, you strike first so that the first person that speaks always seems right. That's what it says, right? No. Matthew 18 says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him to his fault between you and him alone. Go Get eye to eye, face to face, if at all possible. Breathe the same air. Look at the countenance. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Engage with your brother or sister. It says, if he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if not, then go cancel him. <laughs> you tried, they didn't listen. You know, get the posse going. Assassinate their character. Make them look small. That'll make you feel better, right? That's what the world says. And we may not say it in our out loud voice, but when we talk about people and not to people, when we vent on Facebook because they understand me, Make no mistake, we're doing nothing but standing on the shoulder of the corpses under our feet. And that has got nothing to do with the love of God. And that does nothing to build community. And that does nothing to build love. And that does nothing to unite us and to bring us together. No, it says, take one or two more people with you that by the mouth of two or three witnesses can be established. It's not about overwhelming somebody. It's about really getting to the heart and being able to reason together and to work through something. And he says, if that doesn't work, then go to someone in authority, someone that has the authority to speak into that an expert, something of that. And if that doesn't work, then maybe it really is time to peaceably end that relationship and to let go. God's word says, blessed are the peacemakers. See, my life changes when I practice obedience to God's word and his principles consistently. How about when I'm dealing with anxiety? Philippians, Paul speaking to Philippi, Philippians 4, 6 says, Be anxious for nothing but can. I have cancer. I'm facing a disease. My job's coming apart. I don't know what's going on with my spouse or my children. What, what do you mean don't be anxious? The world's going nuts around me. I can't even buy a gallon of gas and a quart of milk. What do you... Be anxious for nothing. And he didn't say just gut it out. No, he says what? 
But in everything, come talk to me by prayer. And some things are so important, you might even need to come in intercession with intensity and and supplication. You might really need to dig in. He says, in everything, come by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Why? Why did he add with thanksgiving? How, How can you be thankful Because if you only focus on the problems, you're going to run out of energy. You're going to become discouraged. You're going to wear out. But he says, I need you to do these three things. Prayer, supplication. But don't forget to be thankful because when you focus on the things that I've already done, when you focus on the things that are going well in your life, when you focus on the things that are supportive, when you focus on the things that are good and of good report, when you begin to focus on those things, I fill you back up from the inside. When you have others coming alongside and praying and interceding and you do it together, I come alongside and I build up. He says, prayer supplication, thanksgiving. And what does it say? That just everything will be better? He doesn't say that. He says, the God of peace, the peace of God which surpasses understanding will guard your hearts and your minds. Why? Because I'm still sufficient. See? My life changes when I practice obedience consistently during those times that I need to practice obedience. It's not enough to know the words. It's not enough to quote the words. It's not enough to be able to say them when things are good. God's going, when the rubber meets the road, when life gets hard, when you face what Jesus faced when he was in the 40 days of temptation, when you face the difficult times like he faced when he was faced with the cross, and he said, I really don't want to do this. Is there another way? And he said, no, this is the way. And he says, then take me through it. He says, when it's at those points that you are obedient and you practice my principles that you are going to see the incredible power of my work and change in your life. We see a similar principle at work when it says, you know, how should we treat those that we work for, integrity at work? And Colossians 3 says, bond servants. Do you realize that if you collect a paycheck or compensation that you're a bond servant? You said, I will do this, you pay me that. It's an if-then relationship. And he's, he's saying, bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. Not with eye service, not only when the review's coming or there's a command inspection or the boss is around. See, that's doing it as men pleasers, but do it with sincerity of heart. Fearing God, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. He's calling us to be people of integrity in everything that we do. Including the things that we do outside of the church. Because we are always what? Always watch. We're always children of God. 
We are always ambassadors of Christ. So if you lack integrity at work, that employer looks and goes, Jesus lacks integrity. You lack integrity in your inner, interpersonal relationships. Those that are not believers look and say, God must lack integrity. Because you can never step away from being an ambassador of Christ. If you are a believer, if you are part of the body, you are a representative, an ambassador. That is the truth. These are just a few of the examples. And you know what? We're doing everything that we can do to try to help you to connect with the principles of God. We're doing deep dive. We're making it simple and straightforward. We're bringing you the word of God in ways that we can talk about it and learn about it and make applications and be in groups together. Every single week, Pastor Steve puts out a set of notes that goes along with the message that he's bringing that week where you can write down those inspirational thoughts that the Holy Spirit speaks to you. These are online where you can get it if you're online. These are online if you're one of those electronic people that does everything on your smartphone or your tablet. They're there. And they're here for dinosaurs like me that still have to put pen to paper. Because we're all part of the body of Christ. We're giving you every resource to begin to go deeper. To begin to make application. To be obedient. Every single week, there is a devotional study that you can sign up for and say, I want to get the devotional study. Or those that don't have printers or need, you can pick up a copy out front. Do you know at the bottom of every page, there's an application step. How do I apply this to my life? If you just applied one principle a week, that would be 52 principles a year. That would change your life. See, we're giving you every opportunity to go deeper. Every opportunity to connect with the heart and the love of God. It's not about studying Charles Spurgeon or Bonhoeffer. It's about being real with the Spirit of God that's right here, right now, today in your midst. There's nothing wrong with those guys, but that is not what it means to go deeper. What it means to go deeper is taking the Word of God and putting it to work in your life and being obedient to the principles that He's given us. Amen? Amen. Moving on. Jesus begins to pull these thoughts together. He was asked, what is the great commandment? Good question. Mark chapter 12 answers that when he says, the first of all the commandments, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your emotions. All of your attention. You're to love God with a relational love and come and connect. With all of your soul, your motives, your decisions, the way that you choose to live your life. You're to love God with all your soul, with all your mind, with your intellect, your reasoning, your learning. 
that you're to bring your mind and to love God with all of your mind, to, to learn more about him and to move into him and with all of your strength, your actions and your resources and the way you invest what he's entrusted into your hands. He said, this is the first commandment that you love God in all these ways. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Gee, it sounds like what we have right there. Loving God, loving people, and doing it together. Jesus says that's the greatest commandment right there. So going deeper in God, going deeper in faith, in a relationship with God, going deeper by a changed life, a changed character. It's about doing, not knowing. Jesus summarized this whole concept in James 1.22 through 25 as he spoke through James. He says, but be doers, be tradesmen of the word and not hearers only. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. This broke my heart as I was thinking about the day today and I was thinking about the years that I've been a believer in Jesus and the years that I've been around the church and I've been around people that I desperately love. And I think how easy it is with our wealth of knowledge, our access to information, our beautiful signs and, you know, you can have your Bible here. I took my cell phone out, but you can have your Bible there. You can have it on your, our access to, how scary it is that we can be such hearers of the word and not doers of the word and literally deceiving ourselves. Because that's what he's saying. If you have all this knowledge and you lack action, you have deceived yourself. You're living in danger because you don't know that you're in a dangerous place. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. He observes himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But... The one who looks into the perfect law of liberty, continues in it, is not a forgetful hearer, but is a doer of the work, is obedient to the word. This one will be blessed in what he does. Obedience to the word of God brings about the work of God. Obedience brings about change. We are to hear the word and do the work. To hear and do nothing is a sign of being deceived. Faith acts. Believers do. Remember, my life changes as I practice obedience.
Say that with me. My life changes as I practice obedience consistently.